The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. We are doing this show from Mobile, Alabama. I am lucky enough to be staring at two of my dearest pals in the world. Craig, the podcast started. Put your pants back on. Never. Never. (laughs) These two are just finding out for the first time that I do not wear pants every time I do this podcast. Just socks. Just socks. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He goes full risky business every show, I guess. We learn new things every day. I don't think we have podcasted in the room together in two years. This is probably the last time, probably the last time we were in Mobile together. So two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. Long, long time. But it's good. We're having a good time here in Mobile. We are having a great time in Mobile. And it started out a little rocky. We were in a very interesting hotel room. You guys may have never gotten another podcast ever again had we maintained our living arrangements for the week. I will not trash the, the, the that place that we were at. I will not they it's trashed it's been trashed enough. Yep. But uh anyways, Craig found a really phenomenal find on, on Airbnb. Airbnb. And we are living a life of luxury right now, fellas. This is uh this is really nice. Having a great time in Mobile right now. Just got off of day one of practice and your Kansas City Chiefs are still in the Super Bowl. So, yeah. We're probably not going to talk too much about the Senior Bowl nah. here Ooh. in this. I know, yeah, I know. Well, interestingly enough, we, we put the request out for the mailbag. Bunches and bunches of questions. So about the many f- draft fu- questions. The, the draft, the future, who are they going to sign, all that stuff. We have a lot of time to get to all that stuff. So, I just off the top of the bat, uh, probably not going to be talking those things, about those things too much as we lead up to the Super to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's got to be focused on on the here and now, largely. We got a few things in there uh, that that we'll get to. Uh, so it's not just completely void of you know some of the draft stuff. Uh, but what I can say is follow us on Twitter at Kent underscore Swanson at Chief in Carolina at Barley Hop. Don't follow me at Jacob Morley. Jake, say hi. He's, He's got his own headphones in. He has tuned us out. Clearly, <laughs> Jake's here too. Uh, follow all of us. We have all kinds of great content going uh, on our on our pages there on on Twitter as well. Um, so we're gonna answer mostly Chiefs show or Chiefs questions uh, on this show. I do think we're gonna try to do a little bit of draft content later in the week. Is that right, Craig? Yes, that is correct. We'll probably do something uh, Friday morning. All right. Well, I'll see you guys then. Yeah. All right. That was Bye, Maddie, Maddie Lane. Yep. Goodbye, Maddie. Burn out for Maddie. Uh, we're gonna just have to rearrange a few things on the rundown real quick, and it's gonna be me and Craig. Yeah.
Let's just jump ahead into these questions now. We're going to start with the five-star review questions. If you like the show, uh, if you don't mind my high-pitched yelling, uh, you can leave a five-star review, and uh, we'll try to answer the questions if you if you, uh, if you you ask one. And uh, I do want to shout out Denro109. We didn't get to the question uh, with the timing based on when it was posted and all that stuff, but shout out to him for asking a Bill-specific question. Thank you so much for the five-star review. Bobo5252 asks... Would you want two bookend tackles or two lockdown corners? Do I have Patrick LeVon Mahomes? Yes. Yes. Give me the two tackles all day, every day, because I am keeping the franchise safe. And we've seen what the Chiefs have done with, well, maybe not two corners. Woo. Lockdown. They're lockdown. They're in the Super Bowl. Back-to-back years. Same starting corners. Look at this. The Chiefs don't need corners. Uh, no. Do they need tackles? We're going to find, find out. out yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of tackle questions on here, too. Timo63, though, he asks, what is the market for Sammy Watkins this offseason? With another good draft class and a few other guys in free agency. It's not a few. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine his market's going to be strong. With his injury history, surely no one gives him multiple years. Does a one-year deal for $5 million plus incentives sound about right? I think that sounds about right frankly. Um, I Maybe not. I don't know if the base of $5 million. I, What I do think is, I do think they, they could potentially bring him back on an incentive-laden deal if they do want to bring him back. That's going to be the big question, though, because playoff Sammy's awesome. We haven't seen playoff Sammy this year. And frankly, the last time we saw Sammy Watkins, he didn't look like the same explosive player. There's a lot up in the air for him. Um, I could see them doing an incentive-based deal. And what I mean by that is I think Sammy Watkins might want an incentive-based deal because he believes he can see into the future. He thought like he was going to hit all these incentive marks. He had this level of belief that he was going to hit all these marks. That's kind of what the report was. with you know, And he's not going to hit a lot of the incentives that he had uh, for uh, the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. So I do think they could bring him back on some kind of incentive-laden deal. Going to be interesting if they do that, though. APNerdSquad at gmail.com. If you uh, want to reach out to us, you don't have Twitter, uh, you don't like us enough to leave a five-star review, uh, you can go ahead and just email us. And Mike Gray does that and says, "What's the what was the biggest surprise for you in the AFC Championship? Was it the Chiefs' explosive, not board offense, the Chiefs' swarming, sticky, pressuring defense, the Bills stuttering uh, with a non-MVP-like offense, or the Bills confused. We learned nothing from our Week 6 game defense. <laughs> as much as I want to do that last one, I do think that Steve Spagnuolo brought out a completely different set of pressure packages and things like that for this game. So I'm going to go with number two, just because I kind of figured the Chiefs offense was going to click. Like It just seemed like they would play really well for a little bit, and they wouldn't play that way for the entire game like they got bored like this says I do think that the Chiefs defense showed that you know people were sleeping on them like that was a ridiculously good performance all around like there were very few guys on that side of the ball that I really have marginally any complaints about so I'm gonna go with the defense and it's not just because I'm a defensive guy I just think that they were they were the most surprising part of that game for me, it's got to be the Bills' stuttering, non-MVP-like offense. Uh-oh. Because, I mean, I did think the Bills' offense was going to put up a better fight. You go back and rewatch this game like I have been while we've been down here in Mobile kind of waiting for stuff to kick off. They didn't do anything until the game was pretty much out of hand. Like, their offense had no rhythm. 
anytime they did get something going, it was usually sparked by a Josh Allen random scramble. And then it was just, you know, a couple plays underneath of soft, softer coverage because the Chiefs already had a billion point lead. The Bills offense looked like complete buns the last two <laughs> weeks in the playoffs. They were awful. It wasn't just that the Chiefs game was too big for Josh Allen. The playoffs were too big for Josh Allen. That's second year in a row he's had that problem. He's got to get that fixed. And if he can't, Brian Dable is getting all this hype. Maybe scheme something up to make it work worthwhile so that way you don't get blown out on the road versus the best team in the league. Hmm. I think it's I, you guys both have the right answers. I, I Those are the two I would have gone with for a variety of different reasons. I think but Steve, like part of me is like wanting to lean with Maddie because Steve Spagnuolo watching him the week before against the Browns, I think he didn't get enough credit for what they were and doing. And all last year. And all of last year. I mean, my uh, goodness. <laughs> just uh, outstanding, outstanding job in the playoffs so far for Steve Spagnuolo. Like, I think he's been exceptional. But Maddie's also right, too. It's just. Say it look, again. Josh Allen. Josh <laughs> Allen. I want to give Josh Allen a little bit of credit here. He was not ready for the moment in a lot of ways, but he was more ready for the moment than he was last year because last year he was trying to lateral the ball last year. Yeah, he, he threw was. a 50-yard pass to a fullback. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I think Josh Allen showed some progress. I think he's not quite ready for the moment, and there always might be a little bit of him that's not ready for the moment, which might wind up being his Achilles heel. But that being said, he's also a very good quarterback, and... He has, I mean, his flaws can be made up for with some of the other stuff that he's able to do. And it only takes a couple plays every game to, to fix a narrative there. Jacob Meyer emails in. Lots of people might ask this, but with the recent news of Prince Tigo Winogo being signed to a futures deal, how does this affect the draft and or dealing with Eric Fisher's injury? I don't think him being signed to a futures contract has any kind of effect. You like that the fact that the Chiefs had him in the building for a week and they said, hey, we think this guy might be worth keeping around next year, but we also don't think he's going to help us this year at all. So they get rid of him off the practice squad. They sign him to a futures contract so that he's going to be around next year. I don't think it means anything significant one way or the other. He's just going to be, he's going to get a shot. He might be in the building next year. He'll probably be in the building. And I think he's talented enough to go out there and compete for a starting job with some of the other guys they might be able to bring in in the absence of Fisher. Yeah, talent's not the question with him. It's the development. It's definitely the injury history. The second part of Jacob Meyer's question was, who has stood out the most to you guys at the Senior Bowl and who has helped their stock the most? Maddie, you get one. Well, in my Senior Bowl preview articles of who has the most to gain at the Senior Bowl, the guy I led off with was Jordan Smith, the defensive end or edge out of UAB. Lo and behold, the first day of practice, he goes out there, he constantly is getting matched up with Alex Leatherwood, probably the best offensive lineman in Mobile that's playing. That's the only guy he's matched up with against. He lost maybe one rep the entire day, including some times where he made Alex Leatherwood look not good. Jordan Smith came out here. He came out to play. He looks explosive. He is big. He is tall. He is long. He's got. He was doing just a typical bag drill, and Kent and I were sitting there. Craig was even a <laughs> section away from us in the bleachers. Yeah, it was he, way far away. He heard somebody hitting the bags and was confused on what the heck was happening because it just sounded like shots of thunder. He came out to play. He was a man on a mission. I think he was easily the most impressive guy either out of either team's practice that I saw today. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, early guy that looked really good that maybe no, not a whole lot of people know about, uh, Kate Johnson out of South Dakota State. Um, he 
was routing up these bigger cornerbacks that went to bigger, bigger schools. He just looked explosive getting in and out of his breaks. He had a full route tree. He even stacked a bigger DB and tracked the ball over his shoulder really well on a vertical route. Just a guy that I didn't have any expectations for coming into this week. I I hadn't watched a ton of wide receivers. Definitely hadn't gotten all the way to South Dakota State yet, but... He just looked really, really good today. I think he turned a lot of people's heads. He's going to have a lot of people that just, like me, who didn't know much of anything about him and went out there and he put on the best performance of that early group for me. I'm going to go with a guy that I think won the weigh-ins and showed some stuff here in practice. And maybe he's not the standout, just like best player there today and all that stuff. But a guy I think I really want to make sure I get my receipts on. I already got some good receipts from December on. But Peyton Turner... He won uh, the combine weigh-ins, weighing in about 270 pounds, over 34-inch arms, uh, and uh, just, I mean, really impressive build. They're asking him to play inside. Unfortunate. Unfortunately this week. But here's the thing I like about Peyton Turner. He held his own. Mm -hmm. Even for being a smaller guy, they're kicking him inside. They're wanting him to play. He's been playing, playing He's playing like a three tech and... Um, but he held his own against uh, Trey Smith. Well, he's going up against the monster team, the monster guards, Deontay he Brown. He's going up against a bunch of 350-pound offensive guards. Like, he doesn't have small guys across from no, him. No, not team. at all. So, he's a Steve Spagnuolo edge, and he's a guy that has that inside-outside versatility, and he's getting to show more of that inside ability than anything this week, which I think is extremely fascinating moving forward because that that value, even this week, just de- working this whole week there and developing there along the inside could be a really valuable asset hit for him moving forward. But back to back to Trey Smith, they're they're playing, they're doing something in the run game, some kind of run game drill, and he holds his gap. But not only does he hold his gap, but like Trey Smith's having a hard time with him to the point where Trey Smith is off balance and and Peyton Turner gets him on the ground. Trey Smith is a round one talked about guard. Like people are well, putting him in that round one conversation. Not us. I know. <laughs> people are putting him in that conversation. Yes. So he's a very well regarded guard. This isn't just some rando off the street. Well regarded. Well regarded. He had a really strong day at practice too. I'm not going to let this Trey Smith slander go because I think he might have been the best offensive guard that I saw from either practice too. Yeah, he might. So, well, no, this is just a credit to my guy Peyton Turner. Uh, Fair. So he's a guy you definitely need to keep an eye on. That is chief specific. He's 270 pounds, length, fantastic motor, excellent change of direction ability, and he's showing and holding his own along the interior. It was really fun to watch. I'm really happy for that guy. Uh, all right, tw- Twitter question time, guys. We're going to jump to Molly Salt, and he asks, please regale us with an evaluation of playoff Juan. Great question, Molly. Juan Thornhill is the guy that I'm kind of diving into his film from this game because we had back-to-back playoff games now where Juan Thornhill was jumping off the screen, and this game against the Bills was probably the best game I've seen him play as a Chief. And, I mean, that's kind of high praise because he definitely played some really good games as a rookie, but between the scheme and just the fact that we finally got to see fully healthy, fully functioning movement skills out of Juan Thornhill. Like, he looked explosive. He looked quick. He looked fast. That very first play where he drives underneath the rub route and then carries the receiver up the sideline, that was just excellent. That's something that Juan Thornhill of a month and a half ago, two months ago, could not have done. He just wasn't moving at that that speed. He's doing great. I'm glad to see Juan Thornhill back. I think it makes this team that much more dangerous because now you can allow LeJarius Sneed, Tyron Matthew, Dan Sorensen, and Juan Thornhill all to move around that secondary whenever you want. 
I'm super excited we have him back. I just need my guy to time his jumps a little bit better so he comes down with two <laughs> picks instead of just ending up with like four passes broken up. Nermalicious, if you had to predict the starting offensive line for the Super Bowl, what would it be, Craig? I think it would be what we saw at the end of the game. I think you're talking about Mike Rimmers at left tackle. You've got Nick Allegretti at left guard, Austin Ryder at center. You've got Stevan Wisniewski at right guard and Andrew Wiley at right tackle. That just seems to be what they've gone to when they've had to deal with some injuries. I don't expect them to bring in somebody new. I don't expect them to try and rotate that around, you know, especially a guy like Andy Heck really values communication in his offensive linemen and those are the guys that have played together the most out of what they've got so far. So I don't expect anything barring Mitchell Schwartz or Colecchio simile all miraculously <laughs> coming to health, which I don't think is going to be the case. I think that those five are going to be your starting offensive linemen. So two-fifths of the Super Bowl offensive line, and it's the two weakest links. Woof. Yikes. Luke Brundage. What adjustments can Andy Reid make with protections knowing that he'll have two backup tackles playing? Uh, very good question. Obviously, they can integrate the pat the quick game a little bit more if it starts to give them trouble. Um, you know, that's one thing they can do. They can obviously give help with like a Nick Kaiser. They can try some of those rollouts that they they type like they they've used anyway. Even with a better offensive line, they've still done some of this sprint out game and all that stuff. But also at the same time, this is going to sound weird, but I think you almost have to play it by ear a little bit too. Like I think they might try to let Mahomes sit back there and see if they can hold up in protection, see if Mahomes can bail them out enough with his mobility, depending on what it looks like in two weeks. Like, I think, you know, they're going to definitely probably adjust some things to help get the ball out of his hands or have a plan to get the ball out of his hands quicker if they need to. And I'm sure they'll do some things anyway, schematically to try to give him some touches or to get the ball, get some easy touches to some of these guys. But see if he can see, see how he holds up. Maybe just, you, you've got to, you've got to go all in on this game. So, you, you can't just completely hamstring yourself with some of this stuff. See what happens. See if you can hold up or maybe just be timely with when you do it. Uh, I, and I, I think they're, I, I they're going to be all gas, no breaks, frankly. I mean, I think I might be underselling it, honestly. <laughs> I think they're just going to be like, Pat, go out there and do Pat things. And Pat will help. I mean, Pat's going to help. This will be a game where he's dropping 70 yards deep and making some plays. Tomas Ramirez, is it me? Or does the defense look so much better and effective when Juan Thornhill is playing like we know he can? Was he the missing piece that was missing since he was still recovering? I don't think that that's the case. Obviously, Juan being back is a massive upgrade because the Chiefs value what their safeties can do. And that safety play is the key to how they get things going. So I I don't think that he is the key ingredient that flipped the switch, though. I think that group literally just didn't show everything that they had. Like, I think as much as we don't really like that and we want them to come out and beat every team that they play, you know, a hundred billion to nothing. Like this, this was a group that kind of slow played it this year and it worked like they were good all year long. Now they you're slow played it to 14 and two. And I it know. was 14 yeah. and one with their it's, starters. It's hard to argue with the effectiveness because then you get into the playoffs and Steve Spagnuolo's throwing out blitzes that these guys don't have scouted. He's really putting the pressure on some good offenses. Got teams that should have been kind of kryptonites for what the Chiefs have done on defense. I just think that you got to see this team really just be able to flip the switch. And I know a lot of teams can't do that, but the Chiefs were able to. So the big thing about the Chiefs is they're one of those 
they're one of the teams that when you start like take it back to the draft, you start looking at guys that are versatile chess pieces and the defensive backfield. Everybody gets all geeked about them for their team. You can't just put one versatile chess piece on a defense and think it'll work. You can't just put a bunch of guys that have to play one fixed position, add one versatile guy, and pretend you can move him around because somebody else can't move around. Juan Thornhill is capable of doing that. So what you get now is you now have instead of three defensive backs with Sorensen, Matthew, and Sneed that can move around, you add a fourth. That lets Steve Spagnuolo to dig, dig, dig even deeper into his bag of tricks, and now he can put four safeties on the line of scrimmage, and you're Josh Allen, you have to just guess which two or three are coming at you because the guy that's dropping or whoever decides to drop is fully capable of making a play. Now, the big thing that Juan Thornhill does do, he allows the Chiefs not to be forced to play two high safeties all the time. When he's this healthy, when he is able to move, he is by far their best and rangiest center field safety. So the fact that they can still play their man match, their zone match coverages, but only have a single safety deep, that's the big benefit because you can just keep mixing everything up and you're not relying on two high looks all the time. Yeah, that play you showed earlier uh, on your Twitter account, Maddie, uh, Juan playing in that. Just play. time to jump. Whew. But still, like, there was a great play. The, it was so good to see him back. KC Chiefs 19. Is LeJarius Sneed the Chiefs' best pass rusher? I did put up a stat. He's now fourth on the team in sacks. It's Frank Clark with eight. It's Chris Jones with seven and a half. And it's LeJarius Sneed with four. He's got four sacks in four games. This man, he's a he's, he goes and plays outside corner. We love him. He looks great. We say he probably is a top 50 pick last year if he plays like that. Then we watch him come back and play in the nickel, be an outstanding blitzer, which this group has just unbelievable amounts of blitzers. What? It's great. It's just so great to see Legere Seed. The answer is no. Like I'm not. We're not answering the question. <laughs> I well, yeah, that's because he jumps when he's a free blitzer and lets Josh Allen get away. Yeah, he should have on your five. He should, yeah, he should have had more than that. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean he's not a, he's not the best pass rusher, but it's still like he's such a valuable asset. I just want to make sure. Like I just wanted to gush about Latarius Steen. That was really why he's I so good. So yeah, Ace Faith asks, will Patrick Mahomes have the time to run Wasp next week? I love the way it's framed. That's I, it, it, I know we kind of talked a little bit about it, but Maddie, will they have time to run Wasp? So here's the thing. Last year, the Chiefs had, you know, not two backup offensive tackles in the Super Bowl, and they still barely had time to run Wasp because Eric Fisher, unfortunately for him, was got beat about as bad as I've ever seen an offensive tackle get beat in a single game at play after play. So it was like it was, he's going to be looking like a backup. Yeah, pretty much. So like, I mean, and on the okay. interior, you had DeForest Buckner, who was treating the interior of the Chiefs' offensive line like they were essentially backups. It's going to be no worse than last Super Bowl. Is what I'm trying to say. Like it, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' pass rush is going to get home. They're going to get pressure, but it can't be worse than what last year's Super Bowl was against the 49ers. So yeah, there was time to run Wasp then. Why wouldn't there be now? And I mean, let's be real. Patrick Mahomes can drop back 20 yards and still throw a 40-yard yeah, pass. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to drop so deep and still be able to throw farther than Tom Brady can. This so is a fine day for bad habits. Oh, yeah. I think. Like, I think sometimes the bad habits just need to come in handy. Like, that's really what I think this week. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm 100% with you, Maddie. I think if you look at it, like, Eric Fisher was backup level bad compared to <laughs> Nick Bosa last year. Oh, that like, was the it, worst I've ever seen so a bad. single pass rusher work a offensive tackle. Like, I think everybody's going to jump to Adrian Claiborne versus uh, was who was it? I forget the tackle for, that was playing for the Cowboys that time. We had the four-sack game, all of them off the cross chop. Like, it was embarrassing, but Nick Bosa beat Fisher with every move imaginable on every single every single <laughs> play. And Fisher's good. It's just young Bosa was just better that day. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Uh, it'll be <laughs> it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, Jake from State Farm 15. I'm guessing the SF on his Twitter handle is State Farm. San Francisco. Go on. It could be San Francisco. I don't know. But he asks a great question. Is Derek Naughty so good at his job that we never notice him? Who is this we that we're talking about? This is the <laughs> Derek Naughty fan podcast. Derek Naughty is so damn good at what he does. He is an elite level nose tackle and nobody talks about it enough like it is he is one of the key ingredients why this team is able to do some of the things that they're able to do he can eat blockers like nobody's business but when teams try and move away from him try and get looks that try and single him up he is still disruptive enough to get to the ball carrier, to move laterally and move guys out of the way while moving laterally to get to the ball carrier to stop for little to no gain. He is a truly elite run stuffer. And frankly, over the past three or four games that he's played, he's had a couple of quarterback pressures that were good as well, collapsing the pocket. So he's not useless there, but he is an elite run stuffer. He is by far the best player that came from that draft class for the Kansas City Chiefs. It is not close. It's naughty. It's close. Naughty close. Not even close. Uh, also, that draft class stunk. Well, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Continuing to answer your questions as the Chiefs get ready. For yet another Super Bowl. We got a lot of time still, though. That's two weeks. We're two weeks. Well, one and a half, I guess. Yeah. Thank you, Senior Bowl, for making this fly. Casey Tom asks, is Veldier, Jared Valdir available? I know he was getting passed around during the playoffs. It's it's an interesting case for Jared Valdir. I don't know if you know if you guys all know the story. Jared Valdir, he signed to the practice squad of the Indianapolis Colts, was elevated for the playoff game, actually played in the, in the playoff game. Well, the Colts lost. Their season was over. They lost to the Buffalo Bills, who got the brakes beat off them by your Kansas City Chiefs. And actually, after that game, he signed with the Green Bay Packers. Um, if he had signed to the practice squad of the Green Bay Packers since their season got ended by Tom Brady, sorry, Jake, uh, he would have had a chance theoretically to sign with the Chiefs or uh, the practice squad and be elevated again. Uh, I don't know. Like, I Honestly, I understand the connection here because the Chiefs are desperate for tackles. They are, um, you know, obviously they, some experience wouldn't hurt, especially a guy who has had a little bit of success in this league in the past. It's not possible because of green Bay, but I understand why you asked the question. Fat white Goodman asks, place the betting odds of each member of the Chiefs' starting offensive line for super bowl LIV suiting up for the chiefs at some point next year. Ooh. Oof. Ooh. I mean, Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Eric Fisher's going to start at some point for this team next year, probably not at the start of the year because a torn Achilles takes a long time to come back from, but I bet at some point we will see Eric Fisher. He, oh, LDT. I was forgetting about LDT. We're going to see LDT. It sounds like he wants to come back and play. 100% chance of seeing LDT, maybe even week one. The rest of that roster, Wisniewski, Ryder, and Mitchell Schwartz, I'm going to say 0% chance. Wow. Even Schwartz? Even Schwartz. Zero. I think think that Mitchell Schwartz is going to retire after this year. Definitively with 0% though? I say 0%. Oh, my. Listen, that that back has been bothering him 
all year long. This team needs offensive line help. If there was any possible way that they thought that any amount of rest would heal this thing at all, we would be seeing Mitchell Schwartz come out on the field. Andy Reid was asked about him this week, and he said, I'm not optimistic that Mitchell Schwartz is going to play in the Super Bowl. He has been out for the majority of the year. If this much rest did not get him to the point where he feels like he can step on a football field again, I don't see how an offseason now all of a sudden is going to make him feel like he can set foot on a football field again, which is fine. Retire, that's fine. But I I just don't see him coming back. All right, the Clan McLean. Assuming you cried like a child last year when Casey won the Super Bowl, will you also cry this year should they repeat? I didn't cry. I got a little teary-eyed when we got on the podcast together. Something about we started talking about stuff. When we started talking about Andy, I got a little misty. I didn't cry all that much. Did you? I don't, I know Maddie didn't cry. <laughs> Maddie was. How do you know? Maddie, well, <laughs> Maddie might have been crying. It may not have been about the game. He was he was crying because he had to stop drinking and do the podcast. Um, I I did when Andy held up the trophy. That, that's when I got it, and then I I tear up every time I see Travis and his dad like the mm. the mic'd up stuff oof uh, that one gets me but yeah I got misty with Andy a couple times I didn't really get misty about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl just like broadly if that makes sense like it wasn't like something where just like it was the, an individual it was sort little, of thing you little, were happy for Andy you were well, happy yeah. for yeah yeah it was little pieces of the storyline that got me more emotional than just like I mean, Craig kind of like Craig kind of said it. Like Craig wanted Andy Reid to win a Super Bowl more than he wanted it for himself. Yeah, for sure. Now this one, <laughs> this one's for Craig. <laughs> this one's for Craig. This one's for Craig. <laughs> Could you imagine? If all of a sudden, I just take it. Like we get on after the Super Bowl, and we get on. It's like that's right. That one's for me. Ash one. This one's for Craig, and it's like Clark Hunt on at on the podium. I like to thank the Chiefs organization and some guy named Craig. <laughs> This one's for Craig. Oh, I could die happy. <laughs> that would be so good. <laughs> JPPV86, Nico Collins, is he a good fit for the Chiefs? Any specific players at the Senior Bowl to keep an eye on? Maddie, I'm letting you shine here. You get three people to watch, Ooh. and you get to talk about if Nico Collins is a good fit for the Chiefs. Well, so Nico Collins first. He is a very big fast, explosive wide receiver that Michigan was expecting to break out this year. And then he opted out of the season. He didn't really get a great chance to shine last year because, well, his quarterback play of Shea Patterson was not fantastic. So he was set to have a pretty big season. Didn't happen. He's now down here at the Senior Bowl. I hope to see good stuff out of him. But yeah, no, I think that he would be a good fit for the Chiefs. He just didn't look great the first day. So if you want to stick at wide receiver, some guys that would be good fits for the Chiefs, Jake, our dear pals, one of his favorite guys, and I think everyone that's been at the Senior Bowl's favorite guy, Frank Darby, wide receiver out of Arizona State. He may not be the biggest guy, six foot, 195 pounds, but that's plenty good for an ex-wide receiver for the Chiefs, for Andy Reid, and he is as vocal as they come on the practice field, and I'm sure the actual game field. He's a blast. He'd be a great fit as an ex-wide receiver. Sammy Watkins' own cousin, Austin Watkins, six one and a half, two 207 pounds, if you want to create a wide receiver in a lab, a body type, to look like a guy that plays in the NFL, it's Austin Watkins. This guy looks the part and then some. He'd be another guy I would love to come in there. And then I'm going to let Craig and Kent say one guy that they think should be a good fit for the Chiefs going forward. 
we literally got up and got coffee while Maddie was talking, by the way. That that actually We happened. literally were just like, Maddie's going to go off for like yep. several minutes and we can just sit back and just chill here. <laughs> and now Maddie's trying to put us on a spot. I'm going to go it. with uh, Shai Smith. Uh, he had oh. a good day today. Big body kind of receiver. Not sudden, uh, but he was able to create separation all day. He had the catch of the day along the boundary. He just went up and went up and got it over a DB. I, I think he'd fit here really, really well. He didn't ask specifically for receivers. Yeah, he did. Any no, specific I was letting players you guys at the just go out there. to keep an eye on. So well, look at me. I'm going to go with Quinn Miners, the interior offensive lineman out of UW-Whitewater. He's a guy that is playing center this week, and he's looked pretty good. I, I've actually really enjoyed watching him play. Um, he's competitive already from Jump Street, so like he has the requisite size to play there. He's like 6'3", 320. And has he played center before? I think you're burying the lead here. He, I, I, no, he's not. He has never. He has not snapped before at the college level. Sure, thanks, they needed thanks, somebody. <laughs> they needed somebody else to do it. He stepped up. I, I could have done that, guys. <laughs> you looked like you're struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was fine. I was no. Fine. This is what happens when we're. Oh, we're no, all sorry, in the room the together. Where, this is where we get the one star reason. I start going high pitch, right? Yeah. All right, now let me get my third guy in here. Robert Jones, offensive guard from Middle Tennessee State. Talk about Quinn Miners. Oh no, go ahead. God, you're just like killing my mojo here. Quinn Miners, really stout at the point of the attack. I really enjoyed watching him play. There, powerful hands, super competitive. He kind of seemed like he, he played. Really, he played with really good energy. He played with really good energy today. And the fact that he's given this a go in a situation where they just kind of threw him out there and just letting him try to play uh, at center because they needed it, it's a big deal. It's It shows the kind of stuff that you need. Like, he's going to be a guy that's going to struggle with the learning curve here. He's a, he's a, he's a Division three prospect. But he's showing a willingness to learn. He's showing a willingness to adapt. And he's showing ability on the football field. Really enjoyed watching him play day one. Can't wait to see what he does moving forward. Chiefs boy RDG with Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz out. Who would you say the leader of the offensive line is now? Who is the voice that gets these guys going? Is it Patrick Mahomes? It's got to be. I mean, I don't think I I don't think there's a line along the interior along the interior offensive line. Is Austin Ryder talking? I think Andrew Wiley probably talks plenty. Andrew Wiley, I think, is a is a leader ish personality. I think he's been in the building long enough. Yeah, I don't I don't like that. If that's the I, <laughs> I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about next Sunday. I mean, I would go out on a limb and say that Austin Ryder is because he does help call protections a little bit. Yeah. There's a reason he was reinserted into the lineup over Daniel Kilgore, and it wasn't because he's a significantly better player. So like I would assume there's gotta be something there, at least between him and Pat, which makes him the proxy. I don't have they don't have a strong voice. Mike Remmers might be a candidate for a guy that oh, does have a lot of veteran experience still. Mm -hmm. And they're going to lean on that veteran experience, obviously, because he might be the left tackle for the Super Bowl. Graver Tanner, are my eyes deceiving me? Or has Ben Neiman, ben Neiman not been a liability in the playoffs? And how many snaps did Bill Gay play against the Bucks in Week 12? Oh, I don't have the snaps up right now. Can't can't throw that one at like me. Like 12. I'm I sure. didn't throw it. It's been in here well, for an hour because the rundown's been done for a long time, Maddie. I'm ass I'm assuming it's been like it's like 10 or 12 because he wasn't playing a lot at that time. I don't. Yeah, believe. and and it wasn't also a heavy personnel game for the Bucks because they got behind early, so they were playing a lot of 11 personnel, and and Willie Gay just doesn't play in those situations. Uh, ben Neiman is doing mostly what he's been doing before. I do think that teams aren't picking on him a little bit more. Part of that's because he's blitzing 
a little bit more often. Part of that's because he's dropping to try and help bracket some guys underneath. So it's not a, a man coverage situation with Ben Neiman. So you're not seeing him picked on as much. I, I do think that they're hiding him a little bit better. But I, I mean, he's doing his job. Like he's he's closing, he's making tackles. I I wouldn't say that Ben Neiman has been bad. I think that this is just I, I think you're seeing his ceiling right now, which is not particularly great. Are we gonna see a big Ben Neiman moment here in in, uh, in no. the Super Bowl? Because my man's made my man's blitzed and, and made a, a nice little pressure on Jim G. No, I don't. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think I, that's Spag- a Steve Spagnola moment. Yeah, that's a Steve Spagnola <laughs> moment. It, the the corners, the slot corners, slot safety. Those are going to be the guys that are going to get the moments in the Super Bowl. Real quick, just just broadly, who's picking off Tom Brady? Give me one. Everyone. <laughs> Juan Thornhill. Juan Thornhill's oh. getting one. Tyron Matthew. I mean, look at the way that Tom Brady threw those arm punts into the secondary against the Packers and tell me that Juan Thornhill is not going to run underneath one of those. Do you know what might make me cry if Juan Thornhill gets a game-sealing interception? Oh, my goodness. That, you know, that he wants might. one. He wants, oh. he wants to be here so bad. I'm so happy for him. That might make me. And Rimmers. I'm happy for him and Rimmers because yeah. Thornhill couldn't contribute last year and Mike Rimmers' last job in the uh, Super Bowl was not a great showing versus Von Miller. Oh, so I am yikes. very, I'm hoping he gets to redeem that and I'm sure he wants to as well. Could be a good story. It's a good one, Maddie. Chandler Wallander asks, will a healthy Le'Veon Bell help in pass pro with Eric Fisher going down? Daryl Williams is the best running back we have in pass protection, so I don't think so. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's nice. Like, he seems to understand how to do it, and he's always been good throughout his career, but Daryl Williams is the guy they trust the most in pass protection. I don't think that would change for the Super Bowl for Le'Veon Bell. Unless that's a Le'Veon Bell is a little bit heavier than he was early in his career joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brian Dorfler, we kind of answered this question a little bit already. Have Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher played their last downs in Chiefs uniforms? Uh, Maddie, if you want to give a percentage on Schwartz and Fisher, let's just do it that way. Schwartz is a 0.1% chance that he comes back, just so I can beat Craig. (laughs) And I think that Fisher will come back. I think they might even restructure him to get him a few more years here because I think Eric Fisher likes being here. I don't think that the, I don't know if the market would be huge for Eric Fisher as a free agent. Like, yes, somebody would pay him to play as an average offensive tackle. But if the Chiefs offer him a little bit less money to stay here with this team, I think he does enjoy it. So I think you might see him get restructured and be here for more than just next year at this point in time. But it would be fully up to him to take less money. Yeah, and it comes down to the fact that this is the last year of his deal. He's coming off of an Achilles injury. He probably doesn't want to sign anything right now. Like, he probably doesn't want to make any aggressive moves that would kind of jeopardize his chance to get a better deal with the next one. I know he got a really good one on his last one, but I do think that they like him. Andy Reid definitely likes him. Patrick Mahomes likes him as well. So I, I think a lot of guys like him a lot of team. guys like him. He's he's one of those glue guys. You saw how everybody room. was responding to him when he went down, and everybody going to console him. Everybody, Jeff Allen, even like immediately, Jeff Allen. Like I mean, there's a lot of guys that have a lot of respect for Eric Fisher. I think that they keep him in the building. It becomes very interesting, though, and I think I'm going to say 0.2% to beat both of you on Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, with Eric Fisher, I <laughs> with Eric Fisher, I this this I feel like this pod has gone really fast with all of us. By the way, sorry, just sidebar. Like I think we're just burning through questions. Are right you now. filibustering? No, <laughs> I just feel like it's gone really, really, really fast. I don't know why. Like we just answered a bajillion questions, and it feels like I mean we're we're doing it in a really quick amount of time. Anyways. Sorry for that sidebar. 
Uh, with Eric Fisher, it's going to be fascinating to see hardball versus you know extension versus like how are they going to navigate all that? Are they going to you know like they can put their foot in the ground and say, hey, look, Fish, you're probably not going to be back for the start of the season. We don't know what kind of player we're getting. It's really hard for teams to come back after an Achilles injury. You can play that angle, that or you can you could say so you could say we're going to cut you, or you're going to restructure this deal and you're going to take less on an on a two year extension. Woof. I mean, I, I get it. It, it. Business is business, so but yikes. That's, that's one of the options. The other option is you extend him. You lock him up, and hopefully it's a, and make it a relatively fair deal for both sides. You give him the Garrett Bowles deal. Cause oh, you're going to give somebody coming off of an Achilles injury the, the Garrett Bowles? This, is, well, this mean, is what I'm trying it, to tell it is you. fascinating, yeah. This is, is what I'm trying to tell you. This is why it's so fascinating. Or I think there's a lot of middle ground between the two options you just gave. <laughs> is there? Yeah. Fuck or Garrett Bowles. I think the Hold way on. Garrett Bowles is playing is definitely better than Eric Fisher right now, and he's younger, so why would, he, why would Eric Fisher get that kind of money? Because that's the tackle market now. But he's better and younger. So why would you? Why would we start Eric First Fisher off, there? Garrett Bowles isn't old, so he's, he's not. He's still younger. Garrett Bowles is like twenty nine. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that this is the elevation of the tackle market. It is. It is the elevation of it. That's what I mean. You can say you're right, Maddie. He's been better. You're right. I hate to admit that Garrett Bowles has been better than Eric Fisher, but you're right. <laughs> what about Conklin? No, Jack Conklin stinks. He's the most overrated player in, in football, and it's not even close. And PFF tried to pretend he was good one year. Two years. Well, one year they tried to pretend he was good, but he was getting help literally every play. Oh, look at Jack Conklin, ninety nine point nine percent grade. There's that you one. guys are welcome for extending the podcast now. By the oh, way, yeah. also the All Pro, I'm convinced, is just using PFF grades for their offensive line voting because they just are like, oh, sure, he got a high grade on PFF, he must be good. Jack Conklin stinks. He's most overrated player in football. Uh Frank Clark can tell you. I think that's it. I, I had more thoughts on the sh- on the on the offensive line with Schwartz, Schwartz and uh, Fisher, but you guys just completely derailed, and that's okay. Yep. I love you. I'm so glad to be doing this with you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the AP Laboratory Mailbag. Really appreciate you all. We'll be back later in this week with a little bit more of a draft-centered show, so we'll be back with that. Thank you all so much. We'll catch you later. If you want the updates from the Senior Bowl, follow all of us on Twitter, plus Jacob Morley. You'll get all the Senior Bowl and things you want.